Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 365 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is Monday, April 6, 2015. Happy, hope everyone had a happy Easter, and we're going to have a big show for you this week talking about USC football heading into the last week of spring football. So we've got a lot to get to, a lot of questions. If you have questions or comments, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can call 206-888-6755. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from the computer. A lot of ways to get a hold of us. Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on. We're going to talk about spring football with him. Also more about the Todd McNair NCAA defamation case. You can still sending a lot of questions about that. So we'll try to get to each and every one of those. And, of course, Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> can't get much better. Had a great weekend, and I've got to admit to everybody, uh, I'm on the island of Catalina for a little vacation, but I'm still working from here. It's just a different location, and the weather's absolutely fantastic. A little windy today, one red flag up. So uh, it's better than two red flags <laughs> up. But, uh, you know, it's uh, the cruise ship's in, and people are running around town, and it's still Easter break for a lot of schools. They break it up now. So spring break is at different weeks, so they don't have everybody at one time. But everything is just great. And uh, I want to wish everybody, too, I hope they had a great uh, happy Easter, everyone. We had our egg hunt here yesterday. Everything went great. And uh, I'm I'm ready to roll on, buddy. We're in the spring football. We are. So one week left. And I wanted to thank our sponsor before we go on, sctickets.com, Southern California Tickets. Or you can call about 1-800-888-7287. I just went to a Laker-Clipper game last night. If you want to go to uh, the last few NBA regular season games or the baseball starting up today, lots of sports stuff going on, uh, go to sctickets.com and, and they'll hook you up. And just I'll let, you, let you know, if you want to follow Coach Har- Harvey Hyde on Twitter, it's at Coach Harvey Hyde. At Coach Harvey Hyde, you can follow me at Inside Troy. I also want to let you know we're going to plan a tailgate party for the spring game. So probably starts around noon. The, the game starts at 3 p.m. Saturday at the Coliseum. We're going to put details up on uscfootball.com, but make sure to check that out. Love for you to come by and, and say hi. I'm Coach Harvey Hyde, hope you can be there. But we'll, you know, come say hi to, to the uscfootball.com staff or other posters or other listeners on the Peristyle and check it out. So, Coach, hopefully you're around for that, and uh, we'd love to have you uh, come by and say hello. Ryan, what time – now, where are you going to have it? What location do you know yet? We don't know. We're probably going to do the sports arena parking lot. I'm checking with USC on where we can do it. Um, okay. And it'll probably start around noon or something, but, you know, you can show up whenever. So I'll I'll post more details, and, uh, Coach, of course, I'll, I'll let you know. But I wanted to let our listeners know, just to be aware of it, if you want to get there a little early, we're trying to put together a tailgate, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. Good. I'm going to go over to the uh, Swim with Mike uh, – uh, benefit earlier charity event that they have it with the pool earlier 
and then uh, I'll get over there. You'll go what? Up uh, twelve to what? Twelve to two or twelve to two thirty or something. Yeah, like we'll that? probably go to like two thirty, two forty-five, something like that. There might be people sticking around later. I'll have to go in and start working. But yeah, that'd be great to to have you out there if you can. Let let me know. I really would uh, like to come by. Okay. All right. That sounds good, Coach. And uh, thank you. We have a bunch of questions, uh, like I said, about spring football, and I know you've been out there. So let me. Uh, I'll start the first one. Um, this is from Gregory in the in Orange County. He actually wanted to say before, um, when will the R eighty five or better than your eighty five T shirts be available? Uh, we're not going to do those, uh, Gregory. We'll do some different shirts probably. But we had the R seventy five or better than your eighty five. Now that sanctions are over. Those shirts are classics. You don't need to worry about them anymore. Even though USC still really has 75 players on scholarship still. So I guess you could still wear them because the sanctions are still being felt. Um, but thanks for that, Gregory. But he wanted to know, Coach, what is the Oklahoma drill and what does it accomplish? Well, it's basically a, a spirited drill to get your practice going or put one-on-one when the whole team watches it. An offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, normally put, they put a running back behind it and a defensive back behind it sometimes, or they just put a uh, linebacker or defensive player and an offensive player, and uh, you hand the ball off, and the back uh, you know, runs to the hole and reads the block of the offensive lineman, and the defensive lineman tries to get off the block and make the tackle. It's sort of a spirited uh, drill between the offense and the defense, and the whole team sort of watches it and gets involved and cheers and uh, for the drill, it, I used to call it a toughness drill. You find out who's really tough and wants to finish the block or or do anything to win. Uh, it's it's uh, it used to when we used to run quick hitting plays. Uh, it was really a good drill because we'd have guards go against linebackers against 34 defense. The linebackers would have to step up, put a blow, get off the block, and make a play. Uh, now most of the time, it's just down linemen that are doing it. So I notice also they do a drill when they have the stock blocking going on too with the defensive backs where the back comes up behind and then they do a live stock block and the back tries to set up the the, the receiver to block and then he breaks off the block and the receiver's got or the defensive back's got to make the tackle. Uh, I think I think it's a good drill. Um, you don't get a lot of reps. It's more or less a, a spirited uh, to get the team fired up. Uh, it's almost like the dancing segment drill that they had the other day. It's just a spirited thing to unite the team and, and have a little competition and hit a little bit and get the shoulders uh, fired up and the team fired up to go have a great practice. I don't like doing it the first drill of the day because you're not really warmed up and your shoulders aren't ready to hit. Or I like doing it maybe in the middle of practice somewhere. But, uh, you know, it's been around a long time. That drill's been around a long time, Ryan. That that drill's been around before you were born. Oh, wow. That's an old one. It's an old drill. But, you know, it's a fun drill. It's fun to watch. So when, when people come out to practice, they like seeing that. So, uh, But thanks for that question. People want to know. I, we referred to it on the podcast before, so I think that's where that uh, question came from. It's not a realistic drill. It's really not a realistic drill. The offensive player really has an advantage, okay? So what, I, what, I think he does. Why, now, why is that? Because uh, the defensive guy just takes the guy on, and the, the, the and the back can go right or left. You never have you ever seen a, an offensive running back be stopped for no gain? Yeah, it doesn't never. usually happen. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't happen. 
so uh, you you know you've got to con- uh, control two gaps, and uh, really the offensive guy, uh, if you lean one way, you just finish the block. You you drive that guy when he's going, and and he can't get off the block, and the back blocks the or breaks the other way. But it's a good it's a good toughness type of drill, you know. It, Got to be tough. You got to have feet. You can't. Got to move your feet if you're an offensive player. The defensive player will throw you off. So uh, no, it's a, it's a good drill, but I think the offense has the advantage on that drill. All right. Uh, well, thanks for that question. Let's go to um, Frank in East LA. Well, it's, he's got an interesting little story here. I'll read his PS first. Um, so it's Frank, aka Juju, in East LA. He's an LA native. Um, he says, it's cool to hear the name Juju, as in Juju Smith. I'm 45 years old, and since I was a small child, to, to present, my family nickname is Juju. I grew up in East L.A. and attended many SC games with my dad, uncle, and cousins. I now live in Fresno temporarily with my wife and daughter, and we are a true diehard USC fan. Someday soon, I would like to meet Juju Smith and share uh, with him my story of how my nickname is also Juju. Hopefully, I can take a picture with him, too. Um, yeah, you should definitely come out to the spring game, uh, Juju, and uh, you can get photos and sign autographs and all kinds of stuff. So come down on Saturday for sure. But that, that's interesting. There's another Juju out there, Coach. That is. It, it really <laughs> is. That's a unique name. I, I've never really uh, heard that before. But that's great. Uh, we have two Jujus. Yeah, and Juju and, Smith was John Smith when he was going through the recruiting process, then changed his name to I believe it's now officially changed to Juju. But it was he was John, quote, Juju Smith. Uh, before, like during the recruiting process. Well, come on down for the spring game. And are they going to have uh, that afterwards, that signing period, autograph period on the field and let everybody come down there like they've done in the past? Yeah. They have that? Yeah, they, that's what I was told. So they would be able to come down and sign autographs and things like that. So it's pretty fun for uh, fun for the fans. You get to, to kind of meet some of the players, take some pictures, and and have a good time. But his his question was, with Dory Jackson recently making a statement that he would like to contribute, uh, um, excuse me, like to concentrate on track and field next spring instead of playing uh, spring football practice, do you think it's a major concern considering he was offered a football scholarship and not one for track and field? Uh, I and maybe others could take it that he's not 100% committed to the football team. Thoughts? Love the podcast. As always, fight on uh, from Juju. No, he's 100% committed to the football team because he knows where that's the money is. And, you know, he's a good long jumper and a great sprinter, but he's not world-class. And what I mean by that, and don't get me mad when I say that, uh, Adore, but uh, you're good enough to get points and you're good enough to score and and you can work on your speed. And and let, let me tell you, when I was a football coach, if a player could score points, and contribute to the track and field team. On a Saturday, I felt nothing wrong with doing that. But it's when a guy comes up to me that can't run or score points, or can't, it's just a way of me of thinking he's trying to get out of practice. See, I think Adore's a little bored in just football. He knows how good he is as far as a corner. He's a great receiver, too. I think he likes challenges, and I think track really tra- challenges him. I really do, track and field. And I, I think that's another way of him going out and competing. He's a great competitor. And I, I, I look at this as, you know, I used to have players that if they can compete, let them compete and let them score points for the track and field team. He's, what does he need to prove on the football field? As far as I'm concerned, zero. What player would complain 
that he's running track on Saturday. No one, because if you were good enough, you'd go with him. And uh, it's also uh, a chance for him not to get hurt. Yes, certainly he could pull a muscle. That could happen anywhere. But I think that the uh, him wanting to run track and, 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 and uh, do the long jump, I think it's a reasonable request. It was only Saturday. Now, what did he miss really on Saturday? That made a difference uh, as far as him not, you know, him not being at spring practice and being able to compete in Florida. I don't think he missed a lot. So he's a definite track and field athlete, and he can score points, and he likes to do it. I remember when O.J. Simpson and Earl McCullough and all those people were there, they were friendly to track and field, and they ran track and field every Saturday and uh, uh, for the track team. And and John McKay would allow him to do that. Uh, if they had a scrimmage that day, I remember they had a scrimmage one year, and they scrimmaged in the morning and they ran track and field in the afternoon. I mean, it's absolutely uh, – that was tremendous. And they won and they scored. There's a lot of athletes that can do that, shot putters. I used to love my offensive linemen to be shot putters because they get great explosion from shot putting, great explosion. So if a guy could throw the shot, 55, 60 feet, whatever, I would allow him to, to throw the shot on Saturday. I really did. I thought it was great. I thought it was uh, another way of competing. I like kids to compete against themselves and compete against other opponents. So, you know, uh, I think next year that um, I really believe that uh, Coach Sarkeesian will allow him to, to do track and field. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you allowed him to do it the whole spring, not even practice football. And I don't think anybody on the team would really question that because he's out there running and working out. You see the track athletes work out. They run and work out the whole football practice. So it's not like he's trying to get out of something. It's just that he wants to compete in another sport. And uh, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, I got no problem with it either. I don't, I don't think it's about his dedication or what he's um, you know, committed to. He's committed to playing football, but he's, he's a you know, multi-sport athlete, and I don't think – Missing some practices in the spring to focus on track uh, for a few weeks is a is that big of a deal. So I, I don't, don't I wouldn't worry about it. He's going to be a stud on the field, um, and you know this could make make him a better overall athlete and could help his football career on Saturdays. Who knows? So uh, thanks for that question though, uh, Juju, and uh, hopefully you get to come out to the spring game and meet the real Juju or the other Juju. Not that you're not real. <laughs> uh, Eric in Georgia had a question, Coach. Um, with what you've seen so far this spring, is this the best team that USC has had in a few years? And also, what have you seen from the new offensive line coach? Um, can you see our offensive line pushing guys around this year? Thanks for the East Coast Trojan. Keep, thanks for keeping us East Coast Trojan fans informed. Love the show, Eric in Georgia. Well, Eric in Georgia. Oh, let me see. In some areas, I would say that they are better. Uh, in some areas, they're not uh, yet fully developed. Uh, I think uh, over last year, I don't know how many years you want to go back and, and say this, but I think last year, they were just learning the system. And there were some delays in the system, and they had to teach more. And I think that they have more confidence this year in the spring. I think their offensive line is more experienced, and I think Coach Conley's doing a hell of a job. I just want you to know he's a teacher out there, and I think he's doing a hell of a job. I see him yelling. I see him around. I think the kids are 
are improving. They listen to him. They like what he's doing. I like the rotation of the players on the offensive line. I think the offensive line is better, okay? And it might be better than the last couple of years. I can't remember back more than past to last year, but I know it's better than last year, okay? As far as the quarterback position, I think they're, 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 it's good. I think that uh, now Max Brown has come on. I think they do have a good backup. You've heard Coach Sarkeesian make that statement. And I think the others are getting a lot of turns, too. But I think down the road, they've got to make a decision on what way they're going to go at quarterback. Are they going to have a running quarterback, or are they going to have a quarterback that uh, stays in the pocket that isn't much of a running threat? You know, when you have one running back and your quarterback doesn't run, it really limits you on offense. If you have one running back sets, then you've got to have the athlete at quarterback that gives you the second running back. And right now they're sort of determining that and seeing that as they go along here. That's why they have five quarterbacks right now on the roster, and they're going to bring in some more next year when they committed that kid out at the fine at Glendora, which he can run the football. I mean, he can run. So I think the quarterback situation will be fine. Running back, uh, right now the numbers are down a little bit. I think Justin Davis will have a great year. He's looking good in the spring. I like his get-off. I like uh, James Tolan. I think he's a, as good as a, you know, really, you've heard me say it about scholarship-wise. I think he's good. Trey Madden will be back. I think he looks like he's in shape. They just want him to take a chance on him. And then, of course, you've got some running backs coming in that I think are screamers. Uh, Jones is a screamer. I think he's a great player. But I think uh, I'd like to see an every down back in USC's offense, an every down back. I don't like backs that rotate all the time. I like to see a guy that can go every down. So we'll see what happens with that tight end. I think Connor Spears is doing a great job. In fact, I saw his mother and sister at practice the other day, and I just walked by, and I said, I'm not supposed to talk to parents, so I just said, I just want you to know I think your son's doing one hell of a job. He's a walk-on, I think, number 49 if you go to the spring game. I think he's doing one hell of a job. Now, you know, you can always have better, but I think he's adequate. I think he's adequate with the great receivers that surround him. Fitzpatrick is uh, it's the same. I mean, he looks a little quicker. And he's doing well, but, yeah, they don't have the depth at tight end since Bryce Dixon is gone, and I don't think Bryce, Bryce Dixon's coming back. I mean, you don't hear any talking about it, so I wouldn't plan. So I might say the tight end position is not what the caliber is of some of the other positions, but he plays hard. They play hard, and they can make up that difference as long as they utilize them. Receivers, uh, you have no problems at receivers. Your receivers are as good as they've ever had there. As far as the group, I think they're a great group. So I would say they're as good as they have been in the past, and uh, they will be as good as they were in the past. I think where the question mark is is on the defensive line. They've got to get these young players that are coming in in the fall for fall camp to get rotations and play. They don't have the depth. They've had a lot of players missing, Townsend missing, uh, Bigelow missing. Uh, they got to get these guys ready to play. And I think they've got to get a little bit more physical. They've got to get a little bit better in the defensive line. They've got to play harder. I don't think it's as good at this time as it was in the past. Inside linebackers, I think they're as good as they've been. They might even be a little better. Uh, they've got a little bit more depth. They've got freshman kids that are coming in. And I like the inside linebackers. I like Tucker. 
He's got good range. He runs around. He's got good speed. And uh, I, I really do uh, like this kid. Uh, Smith is coming. Hard-nosed kid, freshman kid. Cameron Smith, yeah. Yeah, I tell you what, he he's surprised. He's one of the big surprises as far as in the spring. I, I really, really do like him. So uh, I think he's done a great job. The other strong side linebacker, it's, his name escapes me. Help me out. Um, you mean Anthony Sorio or yeah. Arthur Sorio or? No, he's he's out in the spring. He's not practicing. Right. There's another one that's practicing. So Lamar, so Lamar Dawson is getting a lot. Lamar, of, there we go. Yeah. Lamar Dawson, I think, had a great spring. Okay. And if he continues to play like he is, I think the inside linebackers are going to be fine. Outside linebackers, uh, you've got Suva Craven, rough inside practicing. You've got to get more force. You've got to get a little bit more physical on the outside. I, 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 I think the freshman kids coming in have really got to dominate and really be uh, uh, successful to give the defense the complete picture. But the secondary, I have no problem with the secondary, okay? I think it's better than last year. might be better than two years ago. I like the secondary 100%. You've got more depth, plus you've got some kids coming in, Marshall and others, uh, Ross, that are great players. So I really think that in the secondary, it's been the best it's been with depth-wise and everything else the last two or three years, if that's what you're asking. Special teams, I'm still questioning I watch him kick off in the kickoff drills and so on. I do not see the ball going out of the end zone or in the end zone deep. Most balls can all be returning, returnable. And I don't like that. I don't want a guy to have a chance to run the ball back to score a touchdown or get the ball to the 40-yard line. I want the ball to be non-returnable. And that's something right now that's not going on. I don't know if you noticed that, Ryan, but I yeah. noticed that. I watch that closely. I chart it in practice, and that's not happening. So uh, uh, I think uh, the punting game, I, I really haven't seen them work on the punting game much. Maybe you have, but I haven't. Not a ton, so, no, uh, yeah. Have you seen them? No, not just not a ton. No, yeah. I, I haven't seen a one. So I don't know what they're doing there, and Snapper, I, I hope, is good. So, uh, you know, that's what I see of this year's team. I, I don't want to prejudge it. I broke it down because I can't say, oh, it's the best team in the last two or three years at this time. I think there's positive things. I think there's things that still need to be worked on. But I think the confidence of the team and them understanding what they're supposed to do is better. Now, that doesn't mean they, they'll be a more successful team. But I think I broke it down on what my thoughts are right now before fall camp. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Coach. Um, and thanks for uh, Eric and Georgia for sending that in. Um, let's go to Marcel and Diamond Bar. What does Coach Harvey Hyde think about the Arizona Cardinals coach statement that college coaches are not preparing their quarterbacks to play at the next level? Does he believe that USC is preparing its quarterbacks to play in a pro-style system or a hurry-up? Uh, Marcel and Diamond Bar. Well, uh, I think he's right. Uh, I, I do. Uh, uh, what he means by that is there are not many offenses left to doing drop-back quarterback uh, and throwing the football and doing the necessary reads and and uh, learning uh, a pro-style offense. There isn't. Uh, if you go up and down the coast, they're all running. Uh, everybody's running the no-huddle, quick offense, uh, uh, 
uh, offense uh, is that uh, not a power type of offense that they run in the pros where you read. So I think he's right. I think quarterbacks are behind as far as their techniques and understanding the game as far as in, on the pro level. Athletically, I think they're better. I think they're athletic. Uh, the quarterbacks are more athletic than the quarterbacks have been in the past. Uh, you take an Andrew Luck, you don't have many Andrew Lucks. You really don't. Jameis Winston, uh, I think, is a combination of both. I think that he runs good enough, he's big enough, and he throws the ball well enough, and he's learned how to win, and that's important, too. He likes to win. Marcus Mariota, well, he's run that hurry-up offense. He runs really well, but he hasn't really had to be in a sophisticated type of passing game yet, and I think that's a big question mark on him, as it is with a lot of quarterbacks that are now in college. So, yeah, I would say there are less choices for the NFL now to select quarterbacks who run the pro-style offense. And I think that's what he's talking about when they say the colleges aren't preparing them for them. Well, you know, this is a style of football that's now being played on the college level. Hurry up, pro, athletic quarterbacks. Sure, you want them to throw the ball, but they don't. They throw different types of reads. They have different types of reads, different type of routes. So it's a little bit different than what's being done in the NFL. So I'd say, yeah, they're not, they're not producing the amount of quarterbacks that they used to that fit their schemes on the NFL level. But I think it, it's kind of a recruiting advantage for uh, the USC's or the Stanford's of the world's or Alabama's where um, it seems like those – those programs are their offense look a lot more like the pro style. Uh, you know, USC's changed some, but you know, and even some of the spread teams are still more a lot of pro concepts in there, quote unquote pro concepts or whatever. But um, if it's a full on spread where the quarterback's kind of just running all over the place, it's harder to make that jump. Um, and you know, we see like a Johnny Manziel still get drafted real high, but we really haven't seen him do much there. We'll have to see. And even RG three came out like gangbusters and it's kind of fallen off since then. So it's interesting to see. There's different trends in the NFL and how it goes, but the programs that kind of play a system that's similar to what most NFL teams run seem to have a little bit of advantage there, Coach, or at least prepare their guys maybe a little bit better what the NFL scouts, for whatever reason, that's kind of what they're looking for. I agree with you 100%. That's why those type of quarterbacks that are coming out of high school right now are going to schools such as Michigan now and going to schools such as SC, uh, Alabama, Penn State, some of these schools that run the uh, the more traditional type of offenses, and they're getting the, the big quarterback that can throw the football. And that's why they're going to those schools. And uh, I think it's smart for those kids to go to those schools. And and I think that this is why I keep saying USC's got to make a decision on yeah. what and who they are offensively. Complete, you're exactly right. It's just the, the recruiting on the quarterback side is – you just don't know which direction it's going yet. And it's only his second year, but we haven't seen him kind of settle in, Coach. They're offering one guy that's a drop-back passer and another guy that's more of an athlete. It's, it's interesting. I, it doesn't seem like USC knows the, the real direction they want to go yet. I agree with you 100% uh, because he comes to USC from Washington where they ran that spread offense with an athletic quarterback. And now he's at USC, when I say the staff, Coach Sarkeesian, and he still hasn't made that commitment on who we are, that identity. Are we going to line up and beat the heck out of you? Or are we going to try to run a little bit of what everybody's doing? 
like I've always said, last year's offense was a no-huddle offense. It wasn't a hurry-up offense. And you get the type of athletes at USC, as they did this, as they have all, all along, whether they've been on limited scholarships or not, where you don't have to be like everybody else. Everybody else is trying to beat you. That you can line up, hold the ball offensively. Remember, when you have the ball offensively, the D offense doesn't have the ball to score against you. So as long as you can have time of possession, dominate the football, be a better football team on the offensive side of the ball, your defense rests. And the, and the other teams start to panic. And you pound them, you pound them, and you pound them, but you have better players. You don't have to be like they are. So, you know, I think they've got to have an identity and decide which way they're going as far as on the offensive side of the ball at USC. All right, well, we have one last one for you, Coach. This is Jeff and El Segundo. Uh, perhaps I've missed something, but I have not heard anything mentioned on the podcast or the press conferences if uh, Coach Sarkeesian will call the offensive plays in 2015. If he does, I'm concerned that he demonstrates the same stubbornness that caused Kiffin to, to set the beloved football program backwards. Perhaps if Sark had not been so stubborn, USC would have won its last two of the three games last year, and it would go down in USC history as games at the Trojans Will we want to remember or try hard to forget? Uh, that's from Jeff. Well, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. You've been in more practices than I have. It looks like Clay Helton is calling the plays. Yeah, it does. The, I mean, the, yeah. the worst thing that can happen is you get a guy into a rhythm and a team learns your rhythm as far as the play calling, and all of a sudden, game day, another coach takes it over. Um, I would like to see Clay Helton call the plays. I've said that all along. He's got more time to work on it. He's not distracted with press conferences and uh, academic meetings and administrative meetings and all of the different things that head coaches are attracted to and have to do. I would like to see Clay run the offense. I think he's got a great mind. I think the players would gather around him. They become closer. Uh, will that happen? I don't know, but I think Coach Sark's got to give it up. Not that he doesn't do a good job. I'm not questioning that. But I think you've got to be in charge of the entire game, and you can't do that when you're looking at one side of the football. You've got to spend time with the special teams. You've got to spend time with the defense. The defense has got to know that you care about them. Not that they say you don't, but they've got to know that you care about what their performance is as well as the offense. I see him hanging around the offense and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, more than he ever is with the defense. He is right. always around the offense. I never see him going down watching the defensive line go through their drills. I never see him over with the linebackers or secondary guys. I always see him with the quarterbacks or the offensive side of the football. Now, that's fine, but I think that the team has got to know that we're one team and our head coach cares about all sides of the football just doesn't talk about it. So I would like to see Clay Hilton call the plays. He's been calling them all spring as far as what every practice I've been at, he's been calling them. And Sark's been watching or making a comment here or there. So that's what I'd like to see happen. Will it happen? I don't know. I don't see, like to see you practice one way and then play another way. To me, it just uh, doesn't make sense. It's almost like saying I don't have the confidence in Coach Hilton on game day. So uh, I'd like to see that happen. All right. Um, I think it's – I would like to go that direction too. Uh, I, you know, 
I know a lot of head coaches like to call the plays, and it seems to be more of the exception than the rule where it works out pretty well. Um, but the, every indication that we've got, and even though you know Clay Helton's calling a lot of plays in practice from what it looks like, and some of it might be scripted beforehand and, and all that, you know, we don't we don't know exactly what's going on there. But we haven't had any indication that he's decided to step down and do that. So I, I, I my guess, coach, is he's going to start, you know, game one and, and still be calling the plays. Well, I'd assume that because he hadn't said anything. But I think if you make a commitment to your coaching staff and your team and you say, hey, guys, Coach Helton's a guy. He's going to call the plays. But yet you're still the guy. You're responsible for all phases of the football. You can always check off and say, no, I don't want to do that. And you can always make the call, uh, I want to need a field goal out of this or don't throw an interception or let's run it in or whatever you have to do to tell your coordinator. But I like to see guys make a commitment because you're showing uh, confidence in your coaching staff. You're showing confidence that, hey, if Clay Helton isn't good enough to be your offensive coordinator, then get one. You're USC. I mean, you can get anybody in the country to coach at USC. At least I would think so. So I think you've got to show confidence in your coaching staff. Same with on the defensive side of the ball. If it's not happening, not getting down, done there, then you've got to make a change. And I'm not advocating firing anybody. I'm just saying you've got to have that confidence in your coaching staff on the Division One level to make sure they can get it done for you. Yeah. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. Uh, let me thank everyone for sending in all those questions. Uh, really fun, and it's fun to, to talk spring football. I can't believe only one week left. But yep. enjoy your time over there, your vacation in uh, Catalina, and we'll, we'll see you back at practice this week. I'll see you, buddy, and listen to everybody out there. Thank you very much for sending your questions in, and we'll see you at the spring game. And I might even see you at uh, Ryan's party, tailgate party. Look- wow. Ryan. little tailgate party. So, yeah, check back on uscfootball.com, and uh, we'll have some more information on that. But uh, thanks, Coach, and everyone else be back in a minute talking with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh man, what's wrong? It's my marketing guy, I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company, I just can't get results, it's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show as usual. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, getting into the final week, uh, kind of encouraged about where uh, where this team is and uh, what, you know, what they've accomplished in the spring and uh, – uh, I think it's uh, it, it's been a 
you know, last year was a kind of getting to know you and everything was was new and different for the coaches, maybe even more than the players. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I think they're able to get a lot more out of this spring, uh, the kind of thing you want to get out of spring, uh, than last year. Uh, you know, real, you know, figuring out uh, all of the, you know, what can you do with these guys? What can these guys are figuring out? What can they do? Uh, the coaches are figuring out, you know, who can make plays and who can we trust and how, who can we turn loose and, and all of that. Uh, the kind of thing that you just, even, you know, by the end of the season, they still weren't there yet. Uh, I think they're a lot closer to being there and, and figuring some things out, especially on defense. So uh, so I'm kind of encouraged as to where, you know, where they are after, uh, you know, after 12 practices and four weeks. Yeah, and only uh, one week left. It's kind of crazy. Three practices left to Tuesday, Thursday, and uh, Saturday. Of course, Saturday being the spring game, and you can attend that at 3 p.m. at the Coliseum. Thursday will be the last open practice uh, on campus. That'll be on Cromwell Field as of now. Uh, scheduled for 3.30, so if you want to just go and watch as a fan, you can definitely do that on Thursday. They Unfortunately, they put a couple of the practices last week in the Coliseum that were supposed to be on Cromwell, so those were not open to the public. So you can see them on Thursday. You can see them on Saturday, uh, of course, at the spring game. And I, I expect a lot of people to come out for this one, Dan. Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing the, you know, the, the numbers at Cromwell uh, building. Uh, I thought the, the last you know, Cromwell practice in, in you know, like 95-degree temperature, uh, really, uh, you know, good turnout of, of people. So, yeah, I think uh, – and I think you know, just from the uh, you know the uh, little pep rallies, a uh, couple of them they had last weekend, and and the turnouts there, I, I do think there's that kind of sense of uh, you know the sanctions are over. Uh, people are excited about where this team uh, you know is now and where it you know could start the year out next year. I think you're seeing some of that kind of you know old time religion uh, you know coming back with uh, with the Trojans right now and uh, that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, don't forget we're going to I talked about this at the top of the show but we're going to do a uscfootball.com tailgate party we're putting some of the details together right now. So definitely check that out. You go to the message boards on uscfootball.com. We'll have more details or you can email the show podcast at uscfootball.com. If you're going out to the game, you want to come a little early and check out our tailgate party. It should be fun. You get to meet some other fellow podcast listeners or posters on uscfootball.com, and that should be fun. And Dan, you, you had mentioned um, trusting guys a little bit more, and especially on the defensive side. I guess it's a probably a good segue for our first question from Tarek. He says, what has Quentin Powell been doing in the spring, and do you see him being a bigger part of the rotation at linebacker this coming fall? Well, I think in general the rotation is bigger. Uh, and I think that's important. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a sense of, you know, could you trust everybody to do everything, or did you know what you could do? I mean, I'm not sure that they'd had enough time to really uh, maybe understand exactly what, you know, Quentin could do and, and what kind of situations and that. And uh, I think if Quentin's on the field, you have to let him play, make plays. You have to turn him loose to run to the ball you you got to just uh, figure he's going to make plays in space. Um, and if you're going to stand there uh, and kind of hold on, uh, Quentin might not be your guy. But if you're going to turn him loose and, uh, you know, get him moving and saying, you know, go get him, 
you're going to play real aggressively. Then maybe Quinton is your guy, even if he's, you know, not quite 210 pounds. He's a guy that can make plays and be very, uh, very, very disruptive. And he's another one of these guys. If he gets his hands on you in, in the open, you know, in open space, he will probably take you down. And they need that. And I think they're, I think they really, uh, with the coaches, I think they have a real understanding now of what can guys do, what do they need them to do. And especially if they're going to be aggressive and, and you know, cover, uh, go with press coverage and uh, turn guys loose to get to the quarterback. I think one of the theories that they're clearly developing is if we can press cover and we can not give them anything, uh, then we can get to the quarterback. And we can send people from lots of different places to get to the quarterback. And, uh, you know, in the Pac-12, they can't hurt you throwing the ball if the quarterback's on on his backside. And uh, if you can, you know, take away a lot of things from the receivers, you've got a chance to get to that quarterback. Uh, And not necessarily they're going to do it with the, uh, you know, the three defensive linemen. But if you can bring people from a lot of different places that they're not expecting them to come from, and with Sue Cravens and, uh, you know, and a a guy like Quentin Powell, I mean, Scott Felix, for example, is, is two different players. You're going to stand Scott around. He's not that terribly uh, effective, but if you move Scott, you get him going, you send him. Uh, he's a whole different, you know, kind of a player. So, uh, yeah. So I think uh, Quentin Powell fits in with the way they're going on defense, which is, uh, you know, aggressive, go after people, trust the secondary to be able to, to uh, you know, stay with their guys and 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 take things away from them, and they've uh, that's what they've done all spring, and and I really like the looks of that. It's uh, it will be different from what you saw last uh, fall. All right, um, Melvin had a question. This really isn't about spring football, I guess, but it was. Uh, I thought we would kind of talk about it a little bit, um, just because with the uh, the tight end situation at USC right now, he says, "Who is Tyler McNamara?" He's actually talking about Taylor McNamara. And can he step in immediately and help us in the fall? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he's a kid that probably uh, didn't get his chance for for different reasons uh, at Oklahoma, uh, uh, for an injury, uh, for the fact that, you know, they don't throw the ball. Uh, they had a, a big quarterback that they needed to find a place for when they decided he wasn't going to be a quarterback anymore, and I mean a really big quarterback. And he sort of got aced out uh, uh, at Oklahoma, and I think he's a Southern California kid, a San Diego kid, uh, four-star, you know, player who, uh, you know, got his uh, act together, you know, academically, obviously, if, uh, you know, graduate, and uh, hasn't really had that chance to, uh, to uh, you know, to make his mark. And so now here he gets to come and, uh, and uh, contribute to a team that, really needs him, uh, needs a veteran, uh, you know, needs a guy that, you know, at Oklahoma, if you're going to be a tight end, you're basically going to be a blocker. But uh, but I think he's a kid that, you know, thinks that, uh, you know, this is a place that is really good for me. And uh, so I think I think it was a real, really good move for, uh, you know, for him and for USC. Uh, so, yes, I think he can contribute right away. And so he's the – just people don't know that um, he announced on Twitter – that he was going to transfer uh, to USC, uh, graduate early. And, and for what we understand, Dan, uh, you know, it's kind of a weird thing because 
usually graduate student, you know, if they graduate, they have one year left. He actually has two years left, um, so it could help USC for a couple of years. Yeah, good point. I mean, if you can make it in three years, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know that I've heard another one that uh, where a kid, you know, has the two years left. And, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, I think it's uh, it's one of those things that I think that shows you that the USC coaches are on top of this stuff. I, you give them all the credit. I think it's a case of <laughs> you get to USC, and even if you've been at USC or you've been, uh, you know, at the University of Washington in the Pac-12, I don't think you realize all the opportunities of, of things you can do just because you're at USC and just because of the attraction of USC, the, you know, the school, the town, the history, and all of that until you get here. And I think you see these coaches, uh, you know, figuring, uh, you know, some things out. And, uh, and one of the guys, I think, uh, was talking to some people who went to the uh, uh, coaches clinic last weekend, uh, Peristyle people, and they said, you know, one of the guys that just comes through, and we've seen it in recruiting, but he's also one of the guys that just seems to come through, you know, personally is Marcus uh, Tuliasasopa. And, you know, he's probably, uh, you know, had to be involved, uh, obviously, as a tight ends coach in, in some of these moves. And uh, uh, I think they've really taken advantage of, uh, of some things that have come their way. Uh, he had another kind of follow-up. Um, he said, I saw a note that Mark Tyler uh, visited practice last week. So what is Mark Tyler doing now? Did he ever play in the NFL? And I, I, I talked to Mark a little bit. I don't know if you got to, Dan, but um, he's kind of looking to get into the business somehow. Um, I, I, I think he's working like kind of another job, but he wants to get into something on the, the, you know, the journalism side, the media side or the business side, or working for, you know, a football team, things like that. He, he wants to get back into it, not really into coaching from what he told me, uh, but former five-star, you know, running back at SC. Yeah, I mean, that's a and, – and he probably, uh, you know, he did uh, – I know it was with uh, Green Bay, and, you know, came close with, uh, you know, making the team and uh, – he doesn't look like he's going to be playing any more time in the future. No, uh, I, yeah. Mark's a big, big guy now. Uh, and uh, and I think realizing how much he likes football and really, you know, man, this is – and certainly seemed to enjoy being back at practice and uh, realizing. And, and I do think that year, that 2011 team, he probably didn't get as much credit as he as he should have for for all the big plays he made that year and uh you know how much the ability to run the football uh you know in, in big situations and and he gave them that ability uh you know to do it and uh you know i think it's a good model for this year i think uh as much as we talk about the defense coming around and all that uh and we talk about the receivers and cody if this team can run the football the way that team could they're going to be in great shape. I think the, the ability, uh, you know, going forward to run the football, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, crucial for uh, for this team's success. And probably a good segue into that. Uh, Gary had a question, wanted to know about the running back situation, how the running backs have looked. Well, I think Justin Davis is he's showing flashes, and then they don't want to because he's, you know, he's it right now, pretty much, uh, you know, in terms of scholarship guys. They don't want to. Uh, uh, you know, overuse him, but he's showing those flashes of, of, of hitting it up in there. He seems really happy with the way they're using him. I know they're happy with the fact that, uh, uh, 
then he catches the ball really well. And I think they're they're really trying to, you know, a lot of the plays they run out of the backfield and then the slip screens and stuff like that are, are kind of extended handoffs, really. And, uh, you know, he's, he's right at 200 pounds. Uh, he, he's not a big back, but he's not a little guy either. And he does have that ability to extend plays uh, with his, uh, you know, with his feet where he just, uh, you know, doesn't give up on a play. Um, I think one of the, you know, the, the real uh, important things that's happened this spring is the chance for Seller uh, Venuto to, to really get to run the ball both from fullback and, and as the big, big tailback. And I think that will be good for him over the summer. I think it's good for the uh, offensive line to get to, you know, run with a power or work with a power back. And, uh, you know, I think there's a future for him, even if, uh, if and when Trey comes back, uh, you know, you've got, you know, a 200 pounder, uh, Trey wants to play at like 223. And then Soma figures if, if now that they're really thinking about him as a, as a key offensive guy, uh, getting himself down to about 250, uh, but uh, but that would be a nice you know trio of of three guys. And I, I'll be honest, James Tolan, every time you watch him, uh, uh, hopefully has earned himself a scholarship. But um, but he gives you four coming back easily. Uh, Jaleel Pinner, often they use him more as a um, as a uh, as a blocker and a receiver. But then, uh, you know, you, you throw in the three running backs, that, you know, the freshman group, and you figure, you know, one or so of those guys is going to, you know, going to hit. Uh, uh, so I think they're in better shape with the running, uh, with the running backs than maybe it looks like on paper. I mean, I think the, th- the key there is uh, you don't want to – and they started out, for example, Saturday, the first play in 11-on-11, uh, 11 11, first team against first team, and uh, – you know, tailback, I guess it was Justin, takes a step, and, man, he just closed down. I mean, an unblocked, uh, you know, linebacker comes in and just drills him before he gets a step. Those plays have to go away. They, there were too many of them last year, and I don't think going forward you can have plays where you get, you know, somebody who doesn't, you know, Buck Allen, how many times? I think 35 times he had, you know, ran for a loss. Something like that. Some a number that just seems or 35 yards anyway of of lost yardage, and uh, that shouldn't happen. And I think they've got to you know get their run game to the place where it's uh, it's a sure thing. And uh, that hasn't happened yet. But to me, that's that's almost more important. And I, mean, I think the players are going to be there. And one of the things I noticed we talked about at practice is they're kind of slipping the ball to the backs, especially the fullbacks on little kind of screens that we didn't really see a whole lot of before. They're kind of quicker hitting plays, and they you know kind of get past that first level of defense, dump the ball off, and they seem to have been working pretty well. So I, I think even if the fullbacks like some of Vanuka aren't running the football more, I think they're going to be involved a lot more in the passing game this year. Well, and I think that gives them a chance to pull, and they do like the fact that they've got a lot of offensive linemen they can pull. And so they run those, and they're blocking them. I mean, I think that was – one of the flaws I thought in the uh, say the bubble screen game was that uh, they didn't block it very well. They didn't seem to to believe in it in a way that you could really you know load it up and block it the way say for example UCLA uh, would load up on their screen and and really block it with big people. 
And so we're seeing more of that. And I think that's a, you know, that's a, a real plus. And, and again, I, I consider those. I remember when I was the SID at Xavier and we played in a uh, long time ago basketball tournament at Brigham Young. And Brigham Young under Lavelle Edwards it was just starting to come onto the national scene. And I went out one day, it was in December tournament, and they were getting ready for a ball game. Went out and watched them practice. And it hit me, every one of those little slip, kind of passes that they, I said those were like long handoffs those were that was their running game you know they weren't a team known for running the football but in effect when they run those plays that's running the football and I think you're going to see you know that as sort of an addition to the USC run game maybe more than anything Cody was talking about the other day he said it's great you can throw you know a one-yard pass and let them take it you know from there so, um, so I think, yeah, that, I think that's one change. Whether you'll see it Saturday or not, I think you'll see it Saturday. But, uh, but there is a different look to, to how they're doing that. Uh, well, we have a bunch of questions still about uh, the Todd McNair NCAA defamation case. I know we have some more stuff coming up on the site for that. But you, you mind answering a few more questions on that? Sure. Yeah. Um, and there's some, there's some fairly harsh criticism of. Uh, Pat Hayden, which I don't think all of this is fair uh, towards him, but we'll kind of get your thoughts on that. But there's, you know, a lot of people have been writing in. They don't seem uh, real happy with things. We'll see how this settles out. I mean, I think USC fans could potentially be very happy after this. There could be more disappointment. We just don't know. Uh, we'll start with W, and he's he's referring to something that uh, one of the I think one of our callers suggested uh, last week on the show about that the NCAA had to post an apology at the home game, like a, on the video board. So he's saying, I love the idea of watching an NCAA apology before every home game. I doubt the NCAA will do the honorable thing. If they do, I will get to the game early, get some popcorn and a drink, and enjoy the apology over and over again. I hope the story gets more play once the season starts because most non-USC fans have not heard anything yet. If USC had pressed the issue, isn't the reality that the NCAA would have had let, wouldn't have let things drag on uh, as they did with Coach Todd McNair, or would they be in the same point as we are now? The penalties have all done their excuse, the penalties have all done their damage. A lesson from Louis Zamperini to the NCAA: USC remains unbroken by the NCAA. That's from W. Yeah, I think that's the good news. Is USC has survived this far better. You know, I think they got the war. This is the biggest injustice the NCAA has ever pulled on anybody, and USC has survived it far better than anybody who was hit with anything even remotely similar. So those are like two positives, even though, you know, that wasn't the intent on either side. Uh, I love the idea of the, you know, the apology. And I think, uh, though, you would never, ever wait for the NCAA to do, quote, the honorable thing. (laughs) It's not in their DNA. If you read any of the things that went on in the USC case, there is no honor among those people. There's no even thought of honor or fair play or honesty or what's the rule of law or anything else. It never came up. Nobody, I mean, almost, you know, if it did, it was, you know, barely somebody saying maybe we do the right thing because maybe we'll get caught if we don't do the right thing, or maybe somebody will find out that we have no proof here. But 
you didn't get the sense of <coughs> we we owe it to USC or we owe it to Todd McNair uh, to be fair or to be honorable. They're not honorable people. I mean, it, they, it's obvious. And uh, one of the things that probably was hard to know going into this, we, I think, always had the sense at uscfootball.com that these were not honorable people and they weren't doing honorable things. Partly it was because we sat down and talked with Todd McNair at the very beginning and you could see the pain and you could see the sense of how could this be happening and what, you know, so that we had that kind of a personal connection and through all the years that, you know, at USC football, knowing that uh, if you knew what was going on in a lot of their places, what USC, you know, was so much above board compared to all the rest of them that it was ridiculous, uh, you know, on its face. But uh, but I think the, I don't think USC somebody like a Pat Hayden, a Dave Roberts had no idea what was going on. Who's I'm sure you know thinking, well, if the rules are this, you're supposed to obey the rules. Well, so those people had to figure out what was going on. Uh, and no one probably like that or the people at the Board of Trustees at USC or all these other people who are thinking about other thoughts could have imagined that the NCA would go to the lengths that they did, uh, basically acting as lawlessly as they did. I mean, it should have been a tip-off that they changed so many of the rules specifically for the USC case and then changed them back after the USC case where they made it almost impossible to appeal anything where uh, the way they drug it out, you know, uh, for years when they had nothing, when, you know, it was obvious they had nothing if the only thing they were waiting for was the, uh, you know, Reggie Bush lawsuit from Lloyd Lake, you know, it was like, oh, you know, the NCAA, we'll wait for that. Maybe that'll give us, so you knew they didn't have anything. They knew they didn't have anything, but they'd been stampeded by everybody in the country, including, you know, Yahoo and those guys that were were trying to make their name uh, when they started out. Uh, And so they, you know, they all got in line and no one stopped them. There wasn't anybody on there, you know, on that committee or at the NCAA that said, wait a minute, this isn't right. We can't do this. So asking those people to do the honorable thing, uh uh-uh. But forcing them to do something that if they don't do it, it will bring worse consequences on them, that's what you have to do. USC hasn't been willing to go there. They haven't been willing to say, if you don't do this, here are the consequences, and they're going to be far worse. I think that's where USC is now. These are people who had so much to hide they couldn't give anything back to USC. They couldn't, you know, give in at all because USC didn't realize how much these people had to hide. And now we know, and we don't know everything yet, but we know a lot. And uh, now we know why uh, why they fought till the very end uh, to try to keep this all, you know, covered up as much as they can. It's it's beyond embarrassing. I mean, it's. Uh, it basically tears it. I mean, after the USC case, the NCA should no longer ever be allowed to adjudicate or even investigate these cases. They can't be trusted, and it's obvious uh, that it's all who you know, who's on there, who are they trying to you know appease, who are they trying to go after. Uh, no sense of you know fairness whatsoever. So 
uh, hopefully USC takes a look at this and says, not only are we doing it to clear our name and it's clear, uh, you know, to at least say to the players who, you know, had their accomplishments tarnished that, uh, you know, that they need to be uh, reinstated for, you know, the victories and the championships and all of that. But to say that the NCAA will never be allowed to do this to anybody else again, and it'll be, you know, USC doing it on the on behalf of everybody else in the uh, in the NCAA. And um, so I think, you know, well, I, I think USC could do it, but USC needs to do the honorable thing and force the NCAA to do the right thing because. Do not use the word honor with regard to the NCA. They have none. And I think that's a good segue. Uh, we have a, a few other people wrote in kind of similar stuff to this. I'll just, and I, I feel bad. There's a lot of uh, you know negativity, I guess, towards towards Pat Hayden on this. But Frank in Sacramento said, uh, Ryan and Dan, I think USC President Max Nakia should go all Godfather with Pat Hayden when when he asked him to step down. Quote: Pat, you're not a wartime athletic director. Things could go rough with the move we're making against the NCAA, unquote. That's from Frank in Sacramento. He wants he wants us to be Godfather thing and and uh, moving forward. Well, I mean, I think the thing with Pat is in the perfect place to make the case against the NCAA. He went along with them. He allowed them to embarrass him in his school. He said, "We're going to believe you and trust you." He said they were honorable people. They were good people. He can now make the case that he did everything possible to uh, trust them, to believe them, and they have proven not worthy of that trust or that belief. So I think Pat's, you know, perfectly positioned to, you know, get the whole world behind him, if only he will. Uh, I mean, it's there for him to make the case, but he has to make the case. USC has to decide the good name of USC and all of the good work that was done by all those players and coaches and, you know, the fans. I mean, they trashed USC's boosters. USC's probably had the least involved uh, and the least, uh, you know, rule-breaking uh, boosters I've ever seen. Uh, they just wanted to, you know, go to the games and have fun and, you know, support the team. And uh, they're the ones that got trashed. They got thrown out of practice, thrown off the trips, you know, all of that. I mean, you know, make the case that, that this was wrong and uh, the NCAA should not have gone there. And the NCAA, you know, does everybody uh, in, in all of those groups uh, deserve an apology, and I think Pat now doesn't have to go hat in hand to Indianapolis and say, please, 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 you know, we don't have enough players. Will you give us some back? And they laughed and threw him out. I mean, for them to have not even listened when he said, you know, our scholarship numbers are way down here. I mean, you're going to a bowl game with 44 originally recruited scholarship players available. Uh, if you can't the NCAA couldn't even consider that, that's ridiculous. I mean, and, and, and they really need to go after them hard and, uh, and, and make the case so that they never do that again. I mean, no team ever should be required to be playing 
teams with 85 uh, scholarship athletes when you've got 44. Uh, yeah. that, that's just it's, it's beyond, beyond horrible. Uh, even if USC would have been guilty of everything the NCAA said it was, uh, they should have never been required to play with 44. But uh, uh, now to find out that you were innocent and they made you do that, is enough to, you know, if you can't make that case, maybe you ought to talk to somebody about getting your money back for the law degree you, you got. <laughs> because, you know, you don't need a law degree to make that case. You know, it's funny, Dan, and I, I've brought this up to other people that thought it was kind of funny. If uh, if Pat Hayden was the athletic director when, when Mike Garrett was, he would be more connected in the NCAA. If everything happened exactly the same, I don't think we'd be here talking about this because the sanctions wouldn't have been what it was. Um, not saying that what you know Mike Garrett did, or Pat, but just Pat Hayden's personality there, I think before the sanctions hit, would probably have changed things where they would have got something but nowhere near. And it's funny that if Mike Garrett was the athletic director starting in 2010, they probably would have fought the NCAA and, and probably got them reduced. So it's kind of funny that if you just reverse roles, probably either guy in a different spot would have done better than what's, what's happening now or what happened then. Although I'm not, I'm not certain that the decision hadn't been made, that it didn't matter what USC did. I mean, I, that was that's always been the problem. I know Pete wasn't going to give in to him because he knew what they were doing, and uh, uh, although Pat might have given, uh, you know, gone to a, a self-sanction for football right away, which is I I had recommended that because you know there were. You know things that they could have easily, you know, two scholarships would have been about right. Right. Um, and self-sanction right away, it would have made it harder for the NCA to come down on. I don't. I don't think it was they don't like Mike. They were just so convinced that USC. I mean, to me, <clears throat> it was a case of all of those people knew how much cheating their school would have had to do to have the run USC had. And they just, you know, were certain that USC must be doing that much cheating. I mean, they'd watch the, you know, they'd watch TV and they'd see Will Ferrell at practice or whatever, and they'd say, God, Will Ferrell will never come to Starkville, Mississippi. That's just <laughs> not fair. And uh, they convinced themselves. And then you had the three complete, you know, two guys that weren't supposed to be voting, uh, influencing them, and the guy on their, uh, the liaison guy on the staff that had no place in the deliberations, he had no place in having an opinion, and they had clearly taken it over, and they had so committed. I mean, the problem was they committed early on that USC was guilty. I mean, the decision was guilty. Now let's see if we can find enough evidence to justify the penalties that we've decided to give them. And they couldn't ever get there. But I don't think they were ever going to back off. I just think uh, maybe USC could have out, you know, maneuvered them a little bit by, by uh, self, you know, self, uh, you know, penalizing to the exactly what USC deserved. I mean, at USC, when you read their original case, they, they got it right. They did defend the case, uh, properly and they went after all the, the mistakes in the uh you know in the ncaa's case there was no question about it the ncaa didn't have it nailed at all and usc knew it uh but you know tactically it probably would have been a smart thing to uh you know 
they self-sanctioned in basketball. You certainly could have self-sanctioned, you know, in football. And it would have made it more obvious that the NCAA was piling on, or it would have made it more look like it was in vendetta uh, at the very beginning. Because everybody thought USC must have been doing something terrible. Or most people thought, you know, if this was the SEC, it would have been, the uh, you know, money to a player would have been to recruit him and to keep him there, not, and it would have been done by boosters for the school. That would have been the, your classic, you know, or they would have been cheating to get him into school or whatever. Yeah. None of that happened at USC. But the way it was presented, everybody kind of who didn't pay great attention to it thought, well, USC must be cheating. Right. Or yeah. USC must be putting the money up. Or USC must, I mean, you still, I mean, as many people as not think USC put the money up and USC was buying players to come to USC, none of which was even hinted at. And it obviously didn't happen. But, uh, but maybe they could have headed it off a little bit, but uh, I think the NCAA was so hell-bent. I mean, they were going to keep the case open as long as they had to uh, – to, to take USC down. I mean, the decision had been made to take USC down, yeah. to get rid of USC uh, on the college, you know, as the, as the number one program in college football. And, of course, they did that. Yeah, I think, but the thing with Hayden, some of those guys he'd invite down to Augusta to play, you know, he's a member there and play golf with right. and stuff. He would have yeah. been more like in the in the good old boys club than, than Mike Garrett was, who was kind of more of a, you know, he he wasn't going to be that guy. Um, so I think Hayden, like there there could have been that hatred there still, or the reason to want to get USC. But I think Hayden would have done those back channel things, and been, they would have been like, oh, he's my buddy. At least a couple of the like no one really on the committee was going to defend USC. At least Hayden would have probably had one or two guys that would have been on his side that he took golfing or something, and they know each other and like, whoa, whoa, hold on, put on the brakes. But really, no one was there to say put on the brakes, and they just kind of got out of control. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and Hayden you know, could have called on his newest, you know, Notre Dame heritage and his Notre Dame buddy, Missy Convoy. Yep. And uh, the, the problem I hear with that is it's more of the same. It would have been not whether you're guilty or innocent. It would have been, who do you know? Exactly. How yeah. do they like you? Yeah. You know, can <laughs> they? That's, that's why the NCAA should never be allowed to do these cases anymore because it would have come down to that. And you're right. It would have come down to that personal, you know, uh, you would have been able to say, yeah, you know, I'll come and why don't we all meet at Augusta, you know, and and, and that's not the way to do it. And USC didn't have anybody to do that, but you don't like it. That's what it would have taken. Yeah, it's like uh, politics. It's just like someone wrote in to us last week. That it's that seems more like what a congressman would do. Why this bill goes through as opposed to what's right, you know? Well, it's all the the worst part of politics. Yeah, this is the worst part of, and it's even worse than the judicial. I mean, it's the worst part of politics, and it's even worse than the worst uh, judicial system you could ever imagine. I mean, it's just everything that's wrong with it, and that if any university president defends the system that the NCAA has in place now, uh, they should basically be, uh, you know, shamed out of their jobs because uh, it's an embarrassment to, uh, you know, it's an embarrassment to college sports in America that, you know, the NCAA has run the way it is. I mean, you're better off, you know, with a commissioner 
the way you have in the uh, you know in the pro sports, and just hope you get a good commissioner. I mean, as opposed to all this, uh, you know, all these uh, you know these committees and these you know phony baloney uh, you know people with no integrity that are just trying to protect themselves and uh, you know reward their friends and uh, you know harm their enemies. Uh, and USC unfortunately had no friends, uh, you know, whatsoever. And it was, uh, you know, it was. And, and the problem is, you can we can say, you know, Mike this or Mike that, but Mike was right. Uh, what Mike said, you know, that they were all jealous, and there was that kind of. He was couldn't have been more right. Yeah. Whether he should have said it, you know, that day, <laughs> uh, you know, that the penalties came down. Uh, what else were you going to say that they were so, you know, so ridiculously unfair? Uh, but. Uh, but yeah, I think it's time to stop playing the good old boys game. Stop, you know, you know, going along with the way the NCAA is going along. And yeah, see, ought to say we're going to stand up, you know, for ourselves and for anybody else that's ever in this situation. And we're going to, you know, say, you know, we're going to look at our case and say this can never be allowed to happen again. And uh, one of the ways that uh, in our legal system that you do that is you. Um, you inflict punitive damages on the wrongdoer, on, on the people that do the wrong thing here. You inflict damages on them that are so significant that they won't think about doing it again. And I think in the USC case, I think that's the case they should make, that, that the punitive damages uh, that they're going to ask for from the are going to demand from the NCAA are uh, for the purpose of making sure that this never happens again. One last quick one for you, Dan, is the last couple of minutes. Uh, Steven San Diego, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he's not a Pat Hayden fan. He suggested that, that Pat Hayden should step down, but he wants to know if USC is not going to sue the NCAA, what about a class action lawsuit as alumni, boosters, fans, even you know former players, um, things like that? He says, you know, it sounds crazy because he doesn't like frivolous lawsuits, but it's not crazier than anything the NCAA did in this case? I think it's really hard for, and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but it's really hard to come up with standing uh, for anybody in the university community at USC other than the players. I think the players who were forced to, you know, to practice with, uh, with significantly reduced numbers and play games with significantly reduced numbers and, uh, and uphold contracts that were made, you know, uh, for bowl games or, uh, you know, for regular season games uh, before USC scholarship numbers were knocked down as far as to 44, uh, and who have, you know, some kinds of injuries. I mean, I, I do remember talking about of the 12 guys a year ago who tried to go, you know, to the NFL, some early, some, uh, you know, after graduating, uh, 11 of them had had some sort of significant injury in their college career. And it just seemed like that's a larger percentage than you would expect of guys, uh, you know, at, at that level. These were the top, you know, kids at USC. And uh, so many of them had been more than dinged up, you know, in their college career and missed games, missed weeks of practice, or missed whole seasons or more than a season, and you just wonder if somebody did, you know, uh, a study of, uh, of, you know, the typical school and the guys going on to try to play at the next level 
And what's the percentage? 11 out of 12 uh, suffering some kind of significant injury seems a lot. That seems like that seems pretty high. And uh, I think those guys, if you took all the guys forced to play under the sanctions and you put together some sort of class action suit, I mean, you look at what happened with the NFL and concussion-related you know, suits, uh, I think there might be something worth exploring there. The problem I've got is that if you do that, you might almost be required to sue USC as well. And uh, and I don't think anybody would want to want to see that happen, which is one of the reasons I think in the demand from the NCA, I think USC should demand uh, that the NCA fund to in the terms of millions of dollars, much the way the concussion uh, you know settlement with the NFL was reached for USC players under the sanctions that. Uh, would be a lifetime full coverage of any possible lingering uh, condition or injury as a result of having to play under the sanctions. I, I really think that that ought to be one of the you know the top demands from USC against the NCAA is that they should you know for the frivolousness and for the fact that they didn't uh, do any kind of studies uh, in terms of health related. Uh, you know, damages and injuries that could, uh, you know, could come with the uh, the limiting of scholarships. Uh, I mean, uh, people say, well, play walk-ons. And, man, I, I think of that injury that we saw with Taylor Ross, a, a tailback, a, a walk-on kid who just, you know, and there is a difference in terms of, uh, you know, maybe the uh, the athleticism, the ability to perform at, at that level between, uh, you know, walk-on kids and the, uh, the very top-level kids, and we see that knee injury that, that he had, that just unbelievably, you know, significant, you know, almost life-threatening injury that he had that day, that wasn't the answer either. I mean, you know, playing an intramural team or, uh, you know, a team with, uh, you know, half walk-ons was not was not the way for USC to proceed either. I mean, you're, you're supposed to try to win football games, and, uh, you know, USC did remarkably well. But there was a penalty, you know, a price to be paid, and a price that should not have had to be paid. And now I think the NCA should pay a price for uh, for what they did to USC uh, just in that one area alone. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. Thanks for uh, coming on the show and sharing your insights. I just want to let people know, uh, while we were taping this, got an email. USC moved the Tuesday practice, so Tuesday, uh, April 7th, will now be on campus. It will be open to the public on Cromwell Field still at 3.30. So, Two practices. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. That people ought to. This is. Uh, you know, I've been encouraging people to come to practice. So uh, that's great that the Tuesday they're going to be in. Uh, you know, in Cromwell. Excellent. Yeah. So Tuesday, Thursday, you can watch on campus for free, and then Saturday for the spring game, uh, you can go to the Coliseum and watch. All right. So thanks, Dan, and thanks to Coach Harvey High for being on the show. Thank you all for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We hope you uh, enjoy the show. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 